I want to take just a moment and kind of catch everybody up if you're a visitor or guest today. We are in the middle of a four-month series that's called TGIF. We've talked about truth, godliness. This month we're talking about our influence and what influences us. And next month we're going to wrap this all up with finishing and how as Christians we need to prepare to finish well. And uh, so with that, I need to start out telling you this story. Charles Swindoll wrote a book that was called Living Above the Level of Mediocrity. And in this book, he tells the story about a psychology test that was given a few years back. The psychologist's name was Ruth Barenda, and her associates carried out this very interesting experiment. And if you may be familiar with this story, they invited a group of young people, 18 and under. So they had all ranges of kids come into their area, and they took groups of 10 in similar ages. So they took 10, group, or 10, 10 teenagers and put them into a group. They took 10 junior high kids and put them in a group. They took 10 elementary age or middle school kids, put them in a group, 10 elementary kids, all the way down. So they had, they had all these groups of 10 people. The plan was very simple. They brought them in and the test was very simple. They would show them a picture of lines. The person presenting the test would point to a line and say, is this the longest line? And if it was the longest line, all they had to do, raise their hand. Now, like any good test with a psychologist, uh, there are, there's fine print, I guess you could say. And what one person did not know, one person out of ten, was that the other nine had been brought to a separate room before the test, and they were told, no matter what picture is shown, to not vote for the longest line, but raise their hand when the teacher pointed to the second longest line. No matter what the difference was in length, that she would point to the longest line, mm-mm, you don't raise your hand, point to the second longest line, and you say that's the longest line. That was their instruction. Okay? They told that to nine people. No matter what else you hear in this meeting, you're, you're to say that the longest line is actually the second longest line. The experiment begins with, with nine teenagers voting for the wrong line. And the stooge, the tenth one who didn't know, typically would glance around, look, look at the picture, kind of, are you looking at the same picture I'm looking at? But would still raise their hand agreeing with the group that the second longest line was the longest line on the picture. The instructions were repeated and they brought out another card. Same thing. The card was raised and time after time, the self-conscious student, the one that didn't know, would still sit there and agree that the shorter line was actually the longer line simply because they lacked the courage to challenge the group. Now, this remarkable conformity occurred in about 75% of the tests they did that day, no matter what the age was. Young kids to teenagers would, would fall into the influence and say, yeah, that, that line's longer. Knowing it wasn't. Berenda, the psychologist, concluded that some people had rather, would rather be liked than right, which is certainly an accurate assessment. You see, as, as we think about that, in, in the world of influence, that experiment was done with teenagers and children, but I think it's a reality that even adults have to wrestle with in conforming to this world. Why else would Paul encourage the brothers and sisters in Christ when he wrote in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? He said, Therefore I urge you, brethren, 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. That statement, loosely translated from the original Greek, means Christian, you be the influence in your faith. I looked that up, made that up. That's what it means. Why else would Solomon tell us with all his wisdom in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27, he says this, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Now pay attention to this next verse. If we're going to influence others with our faith, we need to begin to apply what I'm reading right now. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path at your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. See, we have these instructions. We have other commands in Scripture like this because we are very likely to allow another person's thoughts or ideas to influence us. And because we are subject to influence in almost, area, any, in almost every, every area of our lives, as Christians, we need to choose daily what influences we're going to allow into our lives and what we will either reject or be cautious about, or freely receive. I have a definition of influence for you. It's the power to affect, control, or manipulate something or someone. The ability to change the development of fluctuating things, such as conduct, thoughts, or decisions. That's, that's the definition for influence. But then I found another definition that I want to share with you. It relates to astrodynamics. As you know, that's a hobby of mine. Um, not really. I don't know a whole lot about astrodynamics, but I learned, self-taught, that there's a thing called the SOI. The SOI is the sphere of influence. Everything has a sphere of influence around it. And in astrodynamics, in astronomy, it's the, it's the spherical region around a celestial body where the primary gravitational influence of an orbit, orbiting object is that body. It's usually describe the areas in our solar system where planets dominate the orbits of surrounding objects like moons, despite the presence of the much more massive but distant sun, okay? Now, let's just take for a minute and consider if we put some spiritual implications on this astrodynamic definition of the SOI, the sphere of influence. When we're conforming to the world, we might look at ourselves as moons, despite the presence of a much more massive, much more powerful sun. A planet which is nearby influences our orbit, keeping us conforming to an orbit around that planet rather than the significantly larger influence of the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does that look like in real life? Uh, someone asked me this morning, what are you going to do today? I said, I'm stepping on everybody's feet. And they said, oh, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> That was your spoiler alert. You might want to pick up your toes. Uh, in our world as Christians, as followers of Christ, 
we know that the driving influence in our lives should be Jesus. The things of God should be the, the, the driving influence in our lives. Outlined in his word. It tells us that we, what we need to know about faith and how we should use our faith as we influence others. But the reality is, because of the way that we sometimes choose to conduct our lives, there are things like planets in this analogy that are closer to us. And these things often have a greater influence on our thinking, on our behavior, than the purity and devotion to Christ that we should have. We, we find a warning to this very thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1-3. through 3. We're told, I wish you would, that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betroth you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You see, by his craftiness, Satan, who is our enemy, often uses the things of the world to deceive us. And, and to in, that influence will lead us astray from the simplicity and the purity of what our devotion to Christ should be. This influence takes on many forms. Maybe this influence is, is people that we choose as friends. Now, I have to be careful here because I don't want you to mishear what I'm saying. I believe that Christians should be friends with people who are not Christians. I firmly believe that. After all, our mission here at Huntsville Christian Church is, is, is go to win and commit to grow. We, we need people who are not Christians in our lives so we can introduce them to Jesus Christ. I firmly believe that. But I also think we have to be tremendously aware and cautious who we hang out with because they have a huge impact on our thinking, on our attitudes, and on our behavior. I think Christians need to have non-Christian friends because I believe that's how most of those non-Christian friends will come to know Christ is through us. And so I believe that. But I also think we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be aware of ourselves. We need to be aware of our weaknesses and our limitations and the things that will cause us to stumble. Because if we don't have Christian friends to hold us accountable, to model godly attitudes with and, and behavior to live up to, then we put ourselves in danger. Folks, make no mistake. We will be influenced. The only question is whether we'll subject ourselves primarily to good and godly influence or bad and evil influence. If we find a good balance, I think we're in a better position to obey Paul's command. Do not be conformed to this world. You see, this influence that we must be aware of, it can even come through what we might consider good sources. Sometimes I think that we are too cavalier when we consume things just because they're labeled Christian. Things like Christian books, music, movies, teachings. Just because someone calls it Christian, we go, oh, it's Christian. But we need to balance that against the Scriptures. Just because something's sold at the Bible bookstore doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best thing for you to read. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for our hearts. You see, wisdom and discernment is a key skill to develop under the direction of the Holy Spirit. But another thing that, that we need to allow our faith uh, so that we can influence others, is to ask the question, who's our ultimate authority? Is our authority what sounds good, what feels good, what looks good to us, or is it the never-changing, living and active, and sharper than a two-edged sword word of God? What's your authority? I think when it comes to answering that question, when it comes to living out our, our faith and our influence, we need to be like the Bereans. Nobody said yes. Do you all know who the Bereans are? They were in the book of Acts. And, and I want to share with you 
um, in Acts, it's from Acts 17. I'm going to read with you a couple of different versions and then we'll hit this one. But one version says the Bereans were more noble character than others. Another version says that the Bereans were more noble minded. Another says they were more fair minded. And then any of these really is a compliment of the Berean culture and those people. It's something we should strive for in our own spiritual growth. But in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 12, the New American Standard Bible says this about the Bereans. The, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Did you hear that? The Bereans, they searched the scriptures day after day to see if what Paul and Silas were telling them and teaching them was the truth. We should be like the Bereans. Far too often people will say to me, hey, I read this great book about whatever in, in Christianity. You should read it. And, and I, I always, because I'm funny, or I think I am, I'll say, oh, you read the Bible. You know? <laughs> no, no, this is, this is a book by favorite author here. They're good books. They're good things to read. But we need to search the scriptures to see if what these people are writing in these books is true and accurate based on God's word. When you hear a teacher or a preacher or someone on the radio or on television, when you read an email newsletter, when you listen to a podcast, when you read a Christian book or a magazine, be a Berean. Put it up against the word of God and see if it holds water. Now, there are some sources over time that you'll come to trust and you'll realize, you know what, if it comes from this source, I know it's true because you, you, you were a Berean. You did your homework. You, you studied where it's coming from and the foundations of it. But I hope that trust will be based on a track record resulting from your search of Scripture and talking with other Christians that you already trust to see if what you're learning and what you're hearing is the truth. I don't think we should ever get rid of our critical thinking caps completely. Even when we have a known and trusted source of teaching, they can still make a mistake. We live in a world where there are many negative influences that can lead us astray. That's why we need to guard our hearts. That's why we're commanded, do not conform to this world. Consider the media. I classify the media as anything and everything, including TV, movies, music, entertainment, of all kinds, as well as the news, internet, all that stuff. And, and I'm about to try to unravel something that you may have lived by for years, so stay with me. I realize that in some ways this is very challenging terrain, but I want to say this. When it comes to these things, it's never just a movie. It's never just a song. It's never just a TV show. It's never just a book. We tend to take the attitude sometimes that I'm just going to kick back and relax and just enjoy this because it's entertainment for entertainment's sake. Or I'm just going to watch the news or I'm going to watch this movie. And honestly, I do it sometimes myself. I just enjoy movies and TV. So I'm not trying to be legalistic here and saying you should never watch TV. You should never do this in our culture because if you know me, you know that part of my, my thought process is if I can understand culture, if I can understand where you're coming from, which I think is important, then, then, then it kind of helps me or helps us to communicate in the language that you understand back. And so I'm not saying don't understand our culture and don't watch a movie, but I'm saying is we have to be careful about what we conform to. 
And if you don't know what's out there, things like American Idol and practical, Impractical Jokers and The Bachelor, if you don't understand why those are appealing to people, I think we're, we're kind of limiting our ability in how to relate to some of those segments of our culture. Um, that doesn't mean we need to watch everything that's out there. It doesn't mean you don't have to, to, to watch something that's rated R or rated X to know what's going to happen in that. You don't have to subject yourself to that. But I think we need to be well-versed in what's going on in our culture, much like Paul when he was on Mars Hill. He demonstrated an understanding of the Athenian artists and their poetry. And so what I'm saying is be careful. We can't, we can't hide our heads in the sand when it comes to pop culture, when it comes to what's going on in our community and in our world. Because like it or not, it's out there and it's everywhere. And I think there are lines that we should not cross, but I'm not going to get into all that this morning. What I'm saying is when you go to somewhere, when you're going to a movie, when you're listening to music, when you're doing these things, guard your heart and do not conform to this world. I think there's a message in every movie. I've said that in every TV show and every song. Some messages are good. Some messages are definitely not. Even in Christian movies and in Christian songs, some messages are not lined up with the Word of God. We need to be sure, to en- uh, but we should be sure to enter the den of popular culture with our eyes wide open. When we go into movies and TV, um, we need to go in with our hearts protected, being discerning, being even critical of what we're seeing. Uh, so often, I'm going to talk about movies in a second, but one of the things I hear, I'll ask people, they'll say, hey, I went and saw this movie. And, and I'll say, was it a good movie? It was a great movie. There was a little bit of cussing, but it was a great movie. It was, there was just a brief frontal nudity. Scene. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, but it was brief, but it was a great movie. The story was great. And then I ask the next question, would the story still have been great without brief frontal nudity? Or without, well, yeah. So why are we justifying that? And that's just, this is one of those things. I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very transparent with you, I love sci-fi stuff. I love sci-fi movies and shows. And t- I'll watch, probably some of you are going to be like, he's our preacher. I will watch at least the first 15 or 20 minutes of just about anything sci-fi just to see if it's worth watching. Now here's the thing. I see you whispering to each other. I'm also aware, though, that behind every sci-fi movie, there is some sort of political agenda, some, for, some sort of, of a focal point that relies heavily on a dystopia or utopia or another religion. And so I go into my sci-fi TV shows and movies knowing full well that these worldviews are strongly at work. Some of the best sci-fi movies, there's no cussing, there's just a lot of great action, but there is a religion, worldview, undertone through the whole movie. But it makes billions at the box office. And as Christians, we flock to it because there's, there's no frontal nudity. There's no cussing. It's just, it's just good fights and good versus evil and good ends up winning in the end and it's a great story. And through that whole thing is mysticism and other religions. So you, I go into my sci-fi shows knowing that. I come out of those having conversations with my son about what the Bible really says about these things. You see, it's the agenda of the writers of, and producers of movies to communicate their agenda. That's why they're making a movie to begin with, because they want you to know what they believe. They want you to know their agenda. It's why people write songs and poetry and why we paint paintings. And it gets me thinking, but it doesn't conform me. It doesn't shape me to their way of thinking because I'm guarding my heart with discernment. 
We go to movies and we watch TV or listen to music. Whether you like it or not, you are being preached to, in a sense. And when we allow our faith to influence us, we have a heart and a mind that's being transformed as it's being renewed. So are you being influenced by that? Are you being influenced by God? You see, influence is an interesting topic to consider when you look at media. And I believe it's clearly media is one of the strongest sources of influence in our culture today. ABC News recently reported this. If a dog is a man's best friend, and some of you may have seen this, and diamonds are a woman's best friend, what is a child's best friend? Anybody know? Increasingly, the answer is technology. According to a new study from the Kaiser Family Foundation, the average child between the ages of 8 and 18 spends more than 53 hours hooked up to some form of media every week. No double counting time for multitasking, just breaking it down. Youth spend nearly five hours watching TV and movies every day, three hours on the internet and playing video games, two and a half hours listening to music, one and a half hours texting, and only 30 minutes talking on cell phones. See, this is a chance for all of us, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or a media executive, to stop and take a look at the role that media plays as they influence our kids' lives. Vicki Kaiser from the Kaiser Family Foundation says, It's become such a part of the air we breathe that it can accumulate at rates we don't even notice. You see the thing about all these children who have technology as their best friend? They're soon to be adults. It's not just an issue for children. By the way, according to the A.C. Nelson uh, survey, the average American watches more than four hours of TV each day, or about 28 hours a week, or two months of nonstop TV watching per year. If you live to be 65, you will have spent roughly nine years glued to the tube watching TV. See, when you say it like that, everybody goes, Oh, I'm throwing out my TV. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying discernment. Like it or not, movies and television and music, they impact the way we think. One reality of this influence is that it desensitizes us. Over, over a period of time, desensitization takes place. Things that were formerly considered taboo or sinful or just shouldn't be allowed in a home are now okay because of the power of the story. The long-term effect of seeing something presented a certain way over time. Newsweek magazine made this report. It said, over time, the image of gay people on TV became less lavender and more gray, as multifaceted as the five men on Queer Eye for the Straight Guy or the ladies of the L Word. And by bringing all of these diverse folks into America's living rooms, TV helped bring LGBTQ into the mainstream. A survey by the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation found that of the people who say their feelings towards gays and lesbians had become more favorable in the past five years, One-third of those credited that in part to the characters that they saw on TV and the shows that they watched. You see, what we do when we watch a movie or a TV show is we allow ourselves to see the world through someone else's eyes. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's a place for seeing and understanding how someone else thinks about something and for understanding another person's worldview and to understand culture. There's a place for that, but there's also a danger especially when we allow this seeing through someone else's eyes and someone else's worldview so much and so often that the whole idea of seeing the world through someone else's eyes is only enhanced, especially in a movie theater. At least with TV, you can see other things. 
You can see the living room and the people around you. You can see maybe even outside, but in a movie theater, what do you see? You see the screen. And then when the movie starts, what do they do for you? Bring down all the lights. Every, you don't even know who's around you any longer because the sound comes in from all directions and, and it builds and it's, and it's great because unless there's like a kid kicking your seat or somebody talking on their cell phone, which isn't allowed in movies anyways, the movie theater experience is totally consuming. It's totally submersive. And it's designed to be this immersion experience. The sound and the screen, it's all there to help us watch absolutely lose ourselves in the story. The problem is that when we completely lose ourselves in someone else's story, it can be dangerous. Take the movie Avatar. I told you I'm a sci-fi movie person. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. It's a great movie. It, it seems destined to make more money than any movie ever. And it's not even, I mean, it's just on DVD now and, and shows up on TV once in a while. They, in case you don't know, it's a whole land at Disney's Animal Kingdom. That's why it's still making money. It's a whole land. I saw the movie, not just in the theater. I've seen it on TV. I've been to the theme park as well. I've seen it. And for a totally undiscerning viewer, Avatar is a much more powerful communicator than this sermon. You see, I'm not even referring to political viewpoints that were clear in the movie. What I'm thinking about here is the religious viewpoint. The movie Avatar was an unabashed evangelistic event for pantheism. Even the New York Times writer recognized this. He said this. This was his review of the movie. Avatar is Cameron Long's apologia for pantheism, a faith that equates God with nature and calls humanity into religious communion with the natural world. Of course, that's okay to, per, to communicate that perspective. We live in a country, at least for now, where anyone can have pretty much any religious view that they want. If a filmmaker does it entertainingly, it'll draw an audience. Not only will it draw an audience to the film, it will draw an audience to the amusement park. By the way, the average wait time for the main Avatar ride at the theme park in Animal Kingdom is three to four hours. Do you know how many people you have to cram into a line so that the person at the very back of it can't get on for three to four hours? The park is only open nine and a half hours. And people are spending four of those hours in a line to ride one 30 to 45 second ride. You see, and to the undiscerning believer, waiting in a four-hour line, can get, you can get sucked into such a powerful and manipulative story as you walk through the line, as they replay the movie, as you see all these things, and you walk away with ideas that are clearly anti-Christian. Just a little bit of molding, just a little bit of shaping into the world's image, just a little more conformed to this world. It's an example of a place where we must guard our hearts. It's not as if there's nothing that Christians can like. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not saying you can't like or approve something like the movie Avatar. Nobody, uh, no follower of, of Christ would approve the way that the evil corporation and the military in the movie did the things they did and just took what we wouldn't approve that. I get it. The heroes of the movie gave themselves sacrificially. Surely we can get behind that. But that's the challenge of the power of story especially stories well told. As I said earlier, when you, you mix in good versus evil and, and you'll see God's goodness and then you'll see it's marred with, with evil. Stories can't escape that kind of thing. That's what, that's what makes a good story. That's why we go see Star Wars and Avatar and, and Lord of the Rings and all these things. Is, is that's why we want to see that stuff. 
All of this makes stories, particularly movies, both inspiring and a frightening art form. They reflect sometimes the goodness of God and His creation while at the same time twist that goodness into something else. The scary thing about a movie, in less than, a, in less than 99 minutes, or some that are now like 105 minutes or whatever, anyway, movies have the power to educate, inspire, tempt, and corrupt all in the same 99-minute time frame. Sometimes it can be awfully hard to tell the difference while you're swept up in the story, whether you're being moved by God or you're being swayed by something else. And so Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed. The idea here is to stop being fashioned. Don't have the habit of being pressed into a mold or shaped. The word for conformed here indicates recognition of a power or a force that can mold and shape our character and our conduct. Paul recognizes the power of social groups and the power of cultural norms, institutions, and traditions to mold and influence patterns on individual behavior and attitude. And I'm convinced that if all of our forms of media that we have today were around 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this, he would have had those in mind as well. The original language, however, it indicates the human responsibility is clearly involved in this. We as individuals can accept or resist the influence. So ultimately, the idea here, do not conform, is to stop allowing yourself to be conformed. Matthew Henry in his commentary said, all the disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus must be nonconformists to this world. Another way to phrase this is Christ-centered nonconformity. It's not nonconformity for the sake of being different, but nonconformity for the sake of being transformed into followers of Jesus. And this is a hard thing because our flesh is naturally conformist. You see, our heart is the core of our being. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, when it talks about the heart, it's not necessarily talking about your physical heart. It's, it's talking about like the depth of your being heart. And, and we tend to separate heart and mind, but in Scripture, heart and mind are just interwoven. Your heart sets your attitude. It's the center of your motivations. It determines how you think. It contains your deepest convictions. What's at your core? It directs your emotions. When it comes to your path being a strong influence, you must know what you believe. And you must guard your heart. It's critical. And there are three ways that you can begin to do that. First off, we need to keep our heart full of the right things. If you want to write down a couple of scriptures to look at, um, Psalm 119, uh, verses 9-11 through 11 tells us this. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. See that? Keep your heart full of the right things. Next thing, we need to keep our hearts pure. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You see, Pure thinking will require us to pursue a closer relationship with Christ because He is pure and He is holy. It will require us to allow His Spirit to transform our hearts. Purity comes from an outside source. I can't just clean up my act. God's Word, God's Spirit will act together on our hearts to help us do that. 
so that we can be a better reflection of Him. The next thing, keep it undivided. Keep your heart undivided. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. We can't do this alone. It takes our cooperation with one another, an allowance, an allowance of the Holy Spirit to do its work in us, a willingness, a willingness to learn the way that God teaches and to walk in the truth that he gives us. And by his grace, we can succeed in guarding our hearts in not being conformed to this world. And by his strength, we can be the influence of faith that we should be in your family, in your school, in your job, in this community. I told you at the beginning of this message that influence is the power to affect, control, or manipulate something or someone. I've also shown you that our culture, our world, has the ability to do just that in a big way through all kinds of media outlets. I've probably given you more information you feel like you've drank through a fire hose on some of that, but I've also shared with you what we need to do to ensure that our influence is stronger than what's influencing us. And so the question is, what's influencing you? What's shaping? What's conforming you? Are you letting the world's influence mold you and squeeze you and shape you into its worldview and then inevitably into its attitudes and behaviors? Or are you daily putting yourselves into a position to be transformed by the renewing of our mind? Are you putting on the armor of God every day? I I preached about that a while back. Put on the armor of God first and then start your day. Are you being conformed into the world's mold because your lukewarm or unbelieving friends have a greater impact on your life and your thinking and your actions? Or because you're sucked into the messages of our popular media and our culture, teased by the attractiveness of the messages without considering the fruit or the logical conclusions? Or are you being transformed by the renewing of your mind, daily yielding your bodies as living sacrifices with an undivided heart, wholly devoted to Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. As we come to our response time this morning, ask yourself these tough questions. What's, what's influencing you? How can you influence others? Maybe for you that starts with an, an opportunity to pray with our elders. They're here. They'd love to pray with you. Maybe for you it's, it's baptism or a further study on what that is. Whatever it is, Consider these questions and decide how you'll respond to God's word so that you can leave here and be a stronger influence in your faith rather than allow yourself to be influenced by popular opinion. Will you stand and sing our response song with us this morning and respond to God's word accordingly?